Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class. So welcome again to our Catechism class and thank you for listening. And I hope you can locate the study guide and click the links in the episode notes to find those study notes and make use of them as you follow through this lesson. It's a windy day here in the studio pod, uh, or rather outside the studio pod, of course. So I'm hoping that you don't get too much wind interference throughout the, throughout the episode. Well, we're still in Lord's Day 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 19 is all about the risen, glorified Christ. We've been exploring and expanding with our instructor's help that phrase in the Apostles' Creed, which says he rose again from the dead and is seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. So seated at God's right hand, Jesus, our brother in heaven, with his redeeming work completed, in the place of honour and glory, and now interceding for us. He's our perfect prayer partner. And he's granting us heavenly gifts through his Holy Spirit, and he is defending us from all of our enemies. But our catechist notes now that the Apostles' Creed actually goes further. For a day will come when Christ will rise from that exalted position and will return to this earth in glory. Our teacher in question 55 asks, What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? And the answer we must give is, In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head, and I eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake, and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Let's have a Bible reading. We're going to read Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I'm Bob McAvoy, and you're listening to the Semper Reformata podcast.
One of the remarkable characteristics of the Heidelberg Catechism, in fact a feature that marks it out from other doctrinal statements, is its emphasis on personal application. The doctrines of the faith are not some form of abstract construction, not just a formal study of philosophical ideas. Christianity is of course a religion of the head. Our minds are renewed in Christ. But it is also very much a religion of the heart. We are new creations in Christ. Our old stony hearts have been replaced with a new heart, a heart that longs for more fellowship with God, a heart that cries out for the ultimate face-to-face encounter with that sinless one who brought us into God's kingdom through his own personal sacrifice, through his shed blood on Calvary's cross. The Apostles' Creed recognises this when it asks from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Our instructor seeks to understand this phrase not in a cold, objective kind of a way, but to apply it to us as Christian believers. He assumes that Christ's coming will actually be a comfort to us, to we who long to see him. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 to 14, Looking for that blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So let's stay with that theme. How will Christ's return on the last day be a comfort to me and to you personally? I've got three simple reasons and they're listed for us by our instructor in the Catechism. The first thing is that all of our earthly troubles and miseries will end. The second is that our status in Christ will be openly declared. And the third is that our eternal destiny will be fixed. Let's look at those briefly. When Christ comes, our earthly miseries and troubles will end. Our catechist says, In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await. Now here's a really practical comfort for Christian believers in this life. Let's acknowledge firstly that Christians actually suffer in this life. I know that there are some preachers and some televangelists who go on and on about how Jesus gives us wealth and prosperity and good health. Let's be frank. Those people are nothing more than charlatans. They are people who are more interested in their own prosperity than in yours. They are snake oil salesmen hawking a false gospel. Jesus never promised Christians a bed of roses, not in this life. In fact, he said the opposite. John 16 and 33, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, Christians suffer just like everybody else. We suffer from illness, we suffer from depression and injury and disease and death. And in addition, we suffer persecution. Christians always have, right throughout the history of the church. So what makes us different from the world? Well, it's this. In the midst of all this suffering and persecution that this life brings upon everyone, we have hope. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 22, down to verse 25, Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation 
groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. Hope that is not seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we do not see, then do we with patience wait for it. You see, when the ungodly suffer setbacks and sadness and injury and distress, they don't have that comfort. Many of our friends and neighbours think that when this life is over, there is nothing more for them. And that's a terribly depressing thought. And if they could actually grasp the reality of the truth of eternity lost, they would be terrified beyond measure. But for the Christian, there is hope. We know that this life is not all there is. We know that one day our Saviour will return and all of the woes and evils and troubles of this age, all the worries and concerns, all the illnesses and even death will be gone forever. So we look for that. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 to 21. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the mighty working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So while the ungodly look down into a descending spiral of hopelessness, we will lift up our heads, for our redemption draweth nigh. Luke 21 and 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. In fact, we are enthusiastic about the future. We are optimistic. We eagerly await the day that the Lord will return. We sing about it and we pray for it to be soon. And we say with the saints of old and with the apostles Paul and John, Maranatha, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. So there's our first comforting thought. When Jesus returns, all the miseries inflicted upon us in this life will be over forever. Paul assures us of this in Romans 8. In verse 16 to 18, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Our earthly miseries, our troubles, will end when Jesus returns. Let's pause there and let's join together in singing God's praise. We're going to join in Psalm 121, verse 1 to 8. That familiar psalm, I to the hills will lift mine eyes. From whence doth come mine aid? My safety cometh from the Lord, who heaven and earth hath made. Thy foot he'll not let slide, nor will he slumber that thee keeps. Behold, he that keeps Israel, he slumbers not, nor sleeps. Psalm 121, verse 1 to 8, and the tune will sing his French. Oh. 
Let's think of another of those comforts. The second of them, and it is this, that our status in Christ will be openly declared. Our instructor says that we eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. We often hear it said in sermons in church that when Jesus returns to this earth, his second advent, that he will not come again as saviour as he did at Bethlehem. When the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. When he comes again, he will come as judge. Now that's true. And that's the very reason why sinners must come to Christ before the end of this age, while there is still time. But let's learn a little bit about this divine judge, before whom we shall all stand on that day. Firstly, we're taught here that he is the same Jesus who left this earth. The very same person, says our instructor. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. This judge will, of course, be someone very special to the believer. He will be the one who also has been himself judged. So our catechist says he has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. He is the one upon whom the divine judgment and wrath of God has already fallen, who took the eternal punishment, the eternal hell that was mine, and made it his upon the cross. Now let's check this out with some Bible references. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2 and 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Hebrews 10 and 12, He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Romans 8 and 34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So this same Jesus left this earth. He's the one who was judged. And he is the one who has taken away the curse of sin from me. All my guilt is gone. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. Galatians 3 and 13. Romans 8 and 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is it any wonder that the Catechist sees Christ's second coming as being a comfort to the believer? The judge before whom we shall stand on that day is the same person who has already paid my fine. I have done a great wrong. I've committed a criminal offence. I'm scheduled to appear in court before a stern judge. And then I learn that the very judge who will walk out onto the bench that day has taken all my guilt. He has willingly paid the great fine that I owe, a fine I could never pay, and I'm absolved from all my guilt. 
Now, how would I walk into the court with that knowledge? I would go joyfully into the presence of such a judge. I would thank him for his loving concern for me, for his grace and his kindness, and I would never fear his final judgment. I would not be afraid of his legal ruling, for I will know in advance that on that day I shall be declared not guilty. What a comfort. Finally, when Jesus returns, our eternal destiny will be fixed. The Catechist says that he will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. In our last class, we spoke about how Christ defends us from our enemies in this life. On the day of his return as judge, all of those enemies... All of those who oppose Christ and his people in this present age will be defeated forever. Of course, our catechist gives no false hope to those who do not belong to Christ. On that day when he returns, there will be no sacred rapture. We are taught in Revelation 1 and verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail, because of him. So picture the scene. The Lord Jesus will return. The people who have rejected him, who have broken God's law, will see him returning. They will be aware of his return. They will be filled with a terror worse than anything they have ever known in the dreadful realization that it is far too late and that they have suddenly come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Son of God, the judge. Jesus will come for both the living and the dead. Now that's true in more than one sense. At his coming, the dead in Christ shall rise and we will be reunited with our loved ones from ages past. But that's also true, not only in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. For he is coming to judge all the earth, both those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead. The difference, of course, is that when sentence is passed, the believer whose sins are forgiven will be in glory forever with the Lord, dwelling with him in his presence forever and ever. He will take me, says our catechist, and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. But for the unbeliever, the Christ rejecter, that person will be rightly and justly condemned to eternal conscious punishment in the lake of fire. And they will know on that day that they deserve exactly that. And believe me, nobody will raise any objections. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul tells us that no one will be able to open their mouth to say anything before God. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. We are all guilty sinners. So one final thought. No one knows when that day will come. It could be today or tomorrow. It may not be for many decades or hundreds of years. Who knows? Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 32, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father but it will come. 
The question is, will you be ready on that day? So thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you would like to help to get the podcast better known, there's a really easy way that you can do that. Go onto your podcast app on your phone or your mobile device. Search for the Semper Reformata podcast. Subscribe to it. And if your podcast app allows you to, give it a five-star rating. And that will help others to find the podcast more easily. So thanks again for listening. It's been a pleasure talking to you and an absolute privilege. I am your servant for Christ's sake.